Hello and welcome to Caged In. I'm your host, Petros, and this is a weekly journey for a Nick Cage film. So this week I will be talking about Rage or Tokarev, depending on where you live. And I will be joined by my part-time co-host, Bob Turnbull. So if you're not familiar with the podcast, I have a guest on each week and we talk about a Nick Cage film. But it's a little bit more than that. So I'll always ask my guests, are they a Nick Cage fan? What is their favourite Nick Cage movie? And what was the first they remember seeing? But seeing as Bob is a returning guest, I got to ask him three new questions that have been kicking around my brain for a while, which are, what is his favourite Nick Cage performance? Something that is vastly different to what is his favourite Nick Cage film. What is his least favourite Nick Cage film? And which director would Bob like to work with in the future? I think, uh, yeah. These questions are going to be fun and interesting and it gives me a license to have return guests on. Uh, Some of the people I've talked to and some of the people who will be coming up on this podcast in the future, I guess I'd love to have back on at some point as much as well as talking to a whole host of new people. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be be a fun one. This film, not so good. I'll say that off the bat, but still a fun episode. And if you do like to watch along for some reason you can pause the podcast right now and watch Tokarev on Amazon Prime in the UK and on Crackle Tubi in the US that is Tubi the ad service in the US Uh, anywhere else around the world please let me know where you can watch all these Nicolas Cage films and I actually have a spreadsheet that I update all the time and I want want to make it a nice one-stop shop so everybody knows where they can get all their Nick Cage when they can get it all the time perfect well enjoy this episode and I'll catch you at the end A man with a very particular set of skills turns to his past in order to get his daughter back. Oh, wait, that's the plot for Taken. Let's try again. An ex-hitman for the mob slots back into his old ways when a gang kills his dog. Hell-bent on revenge, he'll stop at nothing until the score is settled. Oh, wait, hang on, that's the plot for John Wick. Nicholas Cage plays a man gone straight and wants his daughter is killed. He gets the old gang back together to dish out some old school Irish mob plate of justice in 2014's Rage or Tokarev, depending on the territory you're watching it. And I am joined today by uh, my my, my part-time co-host at this point. It's his ninth time back on Caged In, Bob Turnbull. How are you, Bob? Hello, man. I'm very well. How are you? Uh, I'm... Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, uh, it's, it's another week. It's another Cage film. Uh, I'm trying to stay optimistic with this one. How, um, what number are you on now? Is that a uh, tough question? Yeah, I've got to the point where I've, I've, I've stopped looking at the numbers of it. I've stopped <laughs> I've you're, just, close, you're, you're close to the, to, you know, fucking high up though, right? Yeah, I'm, cl- I'm, cl- I'm close to the close to the end i think like I, I don't know i don't know like it seems like the 2010s just go on and on, and on. like I, yeah i yesterday received a uh an amazing print by um an illustrator called john rooney who's done this uh print of 
just Nicolas Cage in every film he's ever been in, like these illustrations of him. Fantastic. And I was like, I've been like kind of like studying, studying it in bursts and looking over it. And I was like, when does this go to? And then like, I'm like, oh, it only goes to 2017. And then it's like, he's released about <laughs> 10 films since then. Like, <laughs> That's going to be another long year for you, eh? <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I think w- w- without, yeah, if Corona hadn't happened, like we would have had mm. another, we would have had another four or five films by now, possibly, or... Wow. yeah that's a good point actually yeah it slows down the cage slows it down yeah and um he's a man that normally can't be slowed down um so before we get into talking about rage tokarev whatever you want to call it uh, yeah (laughs) just just call it do you know what i mean you can i don't know call it fucking tokarev (laughs) (laughs) I've got, um, seeing as last time I asked you my kind of standard questions, I've got three new questions to ask you uh, as a recurring okay. guest. And the first question is, what is your least favourite Nick Cage film? Oh, God, that is, a, that is a hard question. I have watched a lot of them. So in a way, I'm trying to think of the one that was the most forgettable. And in fact, I know what it was because I remember hating it the moment I saw it and I remember regretting buying it. And it was the film, I believe it's called Bangkok Dangerous. Yeah. It's a stinker. There was just something about it. It just didn't work. And I think it was the first time that I really, I think before that point, I had only really watched Cage films that I kind of liked a little bit. You know, even if I didn't love them, there was something about them that, you know, we say this a lot on the show, but like Cage always brings something to his roles, you know, even if it's mm-hmm. kind of a bad film, he usually does. But that's something about Bangkok Dangerous. And it was fucking lifeless. Well, there's a thing you know? about that film in that it's really interesting because it's it's a remake of um oh, yeah. Of a bit um yeah, of uh of a Vietnamese film of the directors, the Pang brothers. Like yeah. directed the original and directed this American remake with Cage, so it's like, <laughs> how did you mess up? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got a perfect blueprint from your original film. Like, how, did, like, you, did you watch the original one? I I, I haven't. I've, I I feel at some point I may cover it for a a Patreon special. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, it's it's like that, like Michael Haneke funny games. Like, yeah, the American yeah. one for some reason doesn't work. Right, right. Or, I've or heard it, from other. I've heard. I've heard from some people. It's just exactly the same. You know, it's a literally scene for scene, shot for shot. Or, you know, or, I don't know. Or more of an example, the um, Gus Van Sant Psycho remake. Oh yeah, fuck yeah, Does, that really doesn't. Yeah, and it is. It, it, it's beat for beat a remake, like shot for shot. Although they they did add a few wanking scenes in there, didn't they? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and also Vince Vaughn even if it's shot for shot if you've got Vince Vaughn replacing fucking Perkins it's going to be a completely fucking different movie <laughs> yeah he's, he's got all of his like schlocky comedy baggage coming with him hasn't oh. he old Vince Vaughn uh, well yeah we could we could oh, talk about Vince Vaughn's Vince. performance we could but night. that's not the show yes. it's a cage show so, going from the worst, what is like? Obviously, before I've asked you what is your favorite Nick Cage film, but I feel this is a very different beast of a question because it's what is the best Nick Cage performance? So, the mm. film itself might not be good, but like his performance in 
one film is wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I mean, I, I, I think the easy answer would be to say leaving Las Vegas because he is brilliant in it. It's the one that he won the fucking award for. Um, and also, you know, there is just something very unique about what he's doing in that movie. Uh, but a, a part of me wants to say adaptation, but in a way he's not, he is really good, but he's not doing anything that's especially groundbreaking, I guess. But, you know, that movie uh, that you were talking about, the one, um, the one where he goes to track down Osama Bin Laden, Yes, Army of One. That, that Army of One. That was one of my favourite Cage performances. You know, I really was fucking surprised. I didn't expect it to be, but he's really doing something different there. Well, he like embodies this character, doesn't he? It's like it. You don't. You don't feel like it's Nick Cage. Like it Ooh. feels like he is like Gary. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah. He is Gary uh, Faulkner. Like, and. He, he, yeah, it's like he's going beyond doing like an impression, beyond doing like a kind of caricature. And he's actually like bringing a lot of emotion and kind of uh, something very real to, to what could just be really goofy and kind of stupid. And uh, so, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that's my favourite. I think that's his best performance. It probably is leaving Las Vegas. Um, but, you know, I think there is something very incredible about that one. Well, that's a perfect answer. And this one is a bit more like, cerebral it's just looking into the future rubbing your crystal ball and what director would you like to see cage work with in the future like who who do you think Ooh. is a perfect fit for cage oh that's a good question actually i think i i'd, I'd love to see what um the safty brothers could do with a with a nicholas cage role mm -hmm. i think that could really be an interesting combination and especially with a sort of a slightly older cage a more sort of Elvis y kind of, you know, white haired cage. I can only imagine that would be fucking brilliant. Well, I could see them doing like a film with Cage and like they did with Adam Sandler, like after uh, Uncut Gems came out, they released the short of uh, mm. Adam Sandler playing a like street mime, you know, like uh, dressed up as yeah. the go the gold or the silver and it's this yeah, it's Benny Safdie. <laughs> and 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 um Adam Sandler having like this fight in the street because it's like impeaching on people's like turf but i would like those guys doing like maybe like this i don't know this character study in like an elvis impersonator <laughs> yeah even if it were a short that accompanied like another story like i think cage would relish at that like i, yeah, I i've personally got and i've said it i've said it on the podcast uh before i would love to see like a sequel to uncut gems where like cage plays uh adam oh, sandler's character's like brother who's this kind of like deadbeat guy who's been living out in like new jersey and like it kind of it starts just before we kind of get like who the character is and then we get this phone call that his brother has been shot and then boom things go on from there like maybe he's got mob ties or like he's just a low-level guy <laughs> but but he wants revenge in like a safety brother's way well that sounds fucking brilliant but now i feel like i've stolen your answer because i probably heard you say that even in maybe a podcast that i was in and now i've just stolen your answer no I, no I, no I, no it's the correct answer so don't worry about it <laughs> okay great i nailed it <laughs> So perfect. So we've we we we've covered the best performance. We've covered where we'd like to see Cage in the future. 
Fantastic. But let's look at where Cage was in 2014 when we look at Tokarev. So was this your first time watching Tokarev for the podcast? Yeah, it was not only the first time uh, watching it, it was the first time I'd heard of it. Uh, I'd, I'd, ne- I'd never seen a trailer, not even seen a poster. I literally, it was fucking news to me. And I didn't even know about its American title, Rage. I hadn't heard of that either. So what were your initial impressions on watching the film? Um, I, well, my initial impression, actually, I'll say the first thing that um, tripped me up about it was it's it, the production company that comes up, first of all, is Anchor Bay. And I, and, and I only know Anchor Bay for doing one thing, which is re-releasing horror films, like usually really bad or like, well, sometimes cult classic horror films, but doing really shit releases for them, like DVDs that are just so muddy that you can't even like watch them. And as soon as it said that, I was like, oh no, like, I didn't even know they were in the production game. And I thought, how could this be good? <laughs> so you know well this is also a saturn pictures uh uh-huh. film as well like they they've got a finger in the pie which is nick cage's studio like his his, his production company oh and fair enough i believe in that more you know that's that's cool but it's like really is this something you you wanted to get behind like because of- yeah yeah, well, the writers the writers are kind of bit, a bit mysterious as well. They hadn't really written much before, and usually mostly horror stuff. Well, um, and also, yeah, go on. Well, the the writers, so yeah, Jim Agnew and Sean Keller mm-hmm. had worked on Dario Argento's film Jallo. Yeah, I saw that. That's really I didn't see the movie, but I saw that they wrote that, and that is interesting. That's a pretty fucking big name to work with. But yeah. it is a very very bad film. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Even so to the yeah. point that Adrian Brody, the star of it, tried to sue Dario Argento for how bad oh the God. film was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, fuck. he was kind of like, "This wasn't the film I was told we were going to make." Oh, and that's just, not great. It's like I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue. Like you've you've wasted my time. Like Jim, <laughs> you've besmirched my good name. Well, hopefully that had that had nothing to do with the writers, you know. Um, but okay, initial first impressions. Um, I initially thought, well, Cage is actually looking pretty cool. He does. I think he looks pretty cool in this film. Um, and I was expecting an Irish accent. I didn't get one, um, and I wasn't hearing really any Irish accents from anyone at the beginning of the film at all. Um, so there was no real Irish vibe. I could tell they were trying to suggest that there was. But I wasn't getting that. Um, and then as soon as you really get to he's trying to like pimp out his daughter to this guy that she's hanging out with on the sofa. Um, so immediately in my mind, I was like, why is Cage like pimping out? Why is he like hanging out with this guy and trying to be bros with him going, you, you should ask my daughter out and stuff. I was a bit like, I don't like this character. <laughs> Who would do that? Well, it's, it's, it's a very weird, he's a very weird character. We kind of like, we don't get really much setup of him. It's kind of like we get these kind of broad strokes of who he is. It's like he's he's working with the mayor. He's like got a construction company, and or, or, yeah. or he's got some company. Like he's he's up on a plinth mm. with the mayor, and then it's like he's at this the dingiest looking bar in the world with these two. Yeah. Like, one of the it, guys looks Irish. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, he, he looks Irish, but he doesn't sound it. 
Mm-hmm. He lo- he and also, like- also what I was going to say about these guys in particular was you, you kind of, it's setting up the fact that they're all their mates. They're like, it's Cage and it's these two guys, but they're like the most like charmless goon, like goons I've seen in a film. In terms of like, you don't like either of them. You don't care about what, what what's whether they live or die. And also more importantly, they do things which are really like actually quite disgusting. So you're like, you're not with it. Like they're not, you can't even like them as anti-heroes. You're just like, I don't like these guys at all. Yeah, yeah. And including Cage's character, like uh, I think this film has got a lot of flaws, like, and there is an interesting story in this, but like the film mm. looks very televisual bar a few moments. Yeah. Like, uh-huh, there's, yeah. There's, I think you get like an hour in, there's like a set piece in the middle that is like fine but like the kind of rest of it is a very televisual yeah the score is terrible like (laughs) or like these kind of sweeping strings that are supposed to be like you've got to get emotional right now come on why are you not why are you not (laughs) getting emotional you better get emotional and it's like i don't know i'm not and like when we get introduced yeah. to these characters, well, one of the first things they're talking about, they're in a dive bar talking about like we've seen that Cage is protect- protective of his daughter at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So his his character Paul what? McGuire. Do you mean oh when he first sees her come out of the school? Yeah, he's like quite protective. He's got her like um an SAT book for like and she's like, Oh, the SATs aren't till next year and he's like, Well, you wanna be yeah. like Does he kiss her on the mouth? Oh, I didn't. I've watched this twice, <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't notice that. Well, that, that, that. I don't know. Maybe I got it wrong. But like at first, when he goes to pick her up, I don't, maybe it's because Cage often has quite young um, girlfriends or wives in his movies. Which this movie is no exception. She is young as fuck. Mm-hmm. She's like basically the same age as the daughter. Um, but uh, when she first comes out of the school, for some reason, I just thought that was his wife. And she's like, oh, you don't have to pick me up. And I was like, what is happening with this? And then, the, I, then I swear he kisses on the lips. And I was like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> but like, yeah, we get this thing of like an overbearing parent, don't we? Because he's like, she's got a henna tattoo. And he's like, well, it's no yeah. better not be permanent. And like, yeah, he's giving her the I book. I quite like that. Yeah, he's giving her the book for the SATs. But we get these broad strokes of who the guy is. Like, even throughout the film, like, apart from the fact that he used to be in the mob and he's gone straight, like, I don't really know much about the guy. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, or yeah. he's he's made some like decisions in his past, but it's like, and to the point of it being like, there's an interesting story in there. It's like, yeah, the, the wife is just sidelined throughout the whole film. Yeah, she's like, what do you mean? Do you, do you mean the dead wife, the living wife? The the, the yeah, his living, living wife. Yeah, yeah, it's just sidelined throughout yeah. the whole film, like. Yeah, she doesn't have a character beyond, like, just waiting to see what happens. No, like, she would fail, like, this film would fail the Bechdel test, like... Oh, yeah. Like, wouldn't, he, wouldn't even score a point, because every, yeah. every like, interaction is with a male character, or mm. it's about, like, what the male characters are doing. It's just, mm. all of it is like, oh, poor, like, like... What, what are you gonna find our daughter? Like, and and I don't know. We get this thing that like she says to him quite early on. Once the daughter goes missing, like, like do whatever it takes, and like, oh. yeah, yeah. 
And then later on, late, then later on, uh, uh, he's like, you told me to do whatever it takes. She's like, I wish you didn't. And then they have this weird moment where he's like, he throttles her against the wall. And he's like, you, you fucking, that make you fucking, that turn you on? And, like, and they have this weird moment with bad soundtrack telling you how to feel, but I'm not sure how to feel. Um, and then you think, okay, well, this is going to go into like a weird sex scene. And then it doesn't. And then, and then Cage starts crying and it ends. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Well, yeah, before we go any further, I should probably do like a brief synopsis. I don't know. Good idea. Why are you listening to this if you haven't seen the film? But this is a uh, story of, yeah, Paul Maguire. He's an ex, like mobster. He's gone straight. And one night he returns home after having a meal with his wife and some friends and is told that his daughter has been kidnapped. She's dead. And then, and yeah, yeah his, his, his daughter's been kidnapped, turns out to be dead. And then it's kind of this revenge mission to find out who has killed his daughter. And it takes, it like, it, it, <laughs> it takes about 25 minutes to like, kind of get to the point that you even find out that she's dead. Yeah, I was I was quite shocked when that happened. I was like, oh, and that's actually what told me when I saw her dead body, which is actually one of the better scenes in it, uh, with real tears coming out of Cage's eyes. Mm -hmm. Not saying he's not capable of that, but I was just saying that that shows that he was a little invested in this role, or at least, or maybe he can just maybe he can just do that, you know. Oh, am I still here? Sorry, there was a bit bit of a problem there. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it shows that he can still be um, invested in any in any fucking role. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and in that scene, I was like, okay, well, this isn't taken. This is not John Wick, as he said. You know, because they would. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the dog does the dog die in John Wick? I don't know. But yes. the point I'm trying to make, it, it does. Oh, oh, that's sad. But what, what I'm trying to say is that uh, is that yeah, it's kind of a bit brutal that the film does that. That it's like no chance of saving her. She's dead. You know, but yeah. But this film very much plays like a an extended episode of like a criminal mind, or like a without a trace. Like it's kind of got that like a mystery needs to be solved, but then they've just chucked in all of this kind of post taken violence of like it. It kind of felt like they were setting it up, being like, "Do you know what would be great? Giving Cage his chance at a taken film." And it's like. <laughs> yeah, totally. But he on paper, on paper, it sounds great. Yeah, but he doesn't need that. Like as we've seen, like, like before and since, like, Cage's. I don't know if this is Cage's wheelhouse of this kind of like. I don't know. Like he's in. Yeah, he may be in his mid fifties, but should he really be trying to like kind of retire into these kind of like roles where he's like, do you know what I mean? Like the. the yeah, I do know what you mean the Liam Neeson roles, like, yeah, and it's not to take any, well, yeah, let, well, let's take something away from Liam Neeson because he turned out to be a bit of a racist piece of shit, didn't he? So, yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, swings and roundabouts and all that. Well, actually, you know, I was a little worried about that scene. I don't know what, I, I, maybe I shouldn't be worried about it. I, I'm not saying that you can't have characters of any different ethnicity in a drama and have bad things happen to them because that's life. That's what happens in life. It's not always that, you know, and I don't think like a casting director or a director hiring one or a, a different, you know, a different gendered person or a different race of, uh, of, of performer for a movie means that they're trying to say something. 
But it is weird that the most brutal act of violence that happens in this movie is the crazy bit where, like, with the with the with the when when Nicholas Cage's boys, the goons, go into what is like supposed to be like a drug den or a crack den, uh, and we got this black dude there. And there's a bit like, I don't know, like I felt there was like some Basquiat vibes going on because you've got like paintings in the backdrop. There's a kind of heroin element. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even seem like that much of a bad guy other than the fact that him and his girlfriend are taking heroin. But then Cage's boys just go fucking mental. Uh, They put like a rope around his girlfriend's, his white girlfriend's neck and then attach it to a fucking massive brick and then chuck it out of the window. And there's just like this kind of brutality. Yeah, but then they try and undercut that scene with like humor, like where one of them turns to the other and says, "Like, oh, I, I didn't even know if that was going to work." And it's like, yeah. I know you were trying to play for like a kind of like laugh there, but it's like, well, no, that's just a pretty like dick. You both dickheads. Like, it's, it's scary. And so also, you find out that they didn't. Sorry, but you also find out that the guy didn't know anything. He was yeah. innocent. Well, that is the thing of this film, and like that is the like thing of the message of this film is like, what is it trying to tell us? And we'll we'll get to that at some point. But like, Mm. just to give some context, those two goons. So it's Kane and Danny. Like Kane just on IMDb gets uh, a first name, and then it's Danny Doherty because obviously he's Irish, and he's the one. He's the one who looks Irish. Do you know what I mean? Like he's the he's the portly guy. The other guy, like the the like handsome, like kind of like yeah, middle aged handsome guy. Like you know, like he's got like that um, older man like ripped physique where it, like, it looks <laughs> yeah. like quite freaky that he's quite like. Yeah. Quite, but like yeah, he he like those two as you said like I've never I've never seen those two men in my life like in any mm. in any film or like tv or anything uh mm. but their characters are just bizarre especially like yeah max ryan's character kane i just don't know like where he's supposed to be from because his voice <laughs> yeah it's so fucking weird mad things yeah it's just, i just think i i think we what we what we really needed to see here and i'm you know, I don't know if I'm challenging the writers or if I'm challenging the director or, or just everyone involved in the picture. But like what we really needed to see from those characters were, was that they had a camaraderie and a past with Cage. And we needed to perhaps even see them commit acts of violence against people who did deserve it. Not like really brutal acts of violence against people who don't. Because otherwise, is it just trying to say that these guys are like assholes? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand why they're rubbing that in my face as a viewer. Yeah. Well, there, there is a thing in this as well, and it kind of seems like, like you're saying about their past, the only past we get is this kind of, like, deal they did, like, where they killed, like, a, a Russian mobster and stole mm. stole all the, the money he was delivering back to uh, Chernov, like, the, the kind of, mm-hmm. like, mob boss. And even then, we don't get any kind of, like, backstory. It's like they've committed this, like, this one act and it's like kind of murder yeah yeah i was actually kind of confused but i think like one of the things like i think the biggest downfall of this film like is is the ending because it just yeah it it undercuts everything and i'm not sure whether it makes everything pointless yeah well it's the, the the thing is this is like um paco 
Cabezas, the uh, director, this is his first English language film. And like Nicholas, wow. Nick, Nick Cage was a huge fan after he saw his like 2010 film, Neon Flesh, which Ooh, like, sounds, yeah. And that's what made Cage want to work with him. So like, I think there was like, do you know what I mean? Like, Potential. Well, it's that thing as well that, like, I think Cage goes into these things with the right intentions. That, like, totally, yeah, yeah. And like, I'm glad. I'm glad in a way that also, you know, as as stories go, I mean, it's not a well written story, but I'm glad they they don't really show Cage doing anything that's like really fucking heinous in a way. Aside from that great scene where he's with the boy in his bedroom, who's like the the boyfriend of the girl who's just died or almost was her boyfriend. And, uh, and he's like, he says something like, uh, was he saying like, I'm going to hold you personally responsible if anything happens to her or something like that. And it's a kind of, it's a spooky scene. Cause it's like cage is like going over the top. He's like, I want you to die. You should take bullets for her. But like, he hasn't even got to a relationship with the girl. He is, actually knows nothing about this guy. And I think that, that that's the only scene where he's like sort of goes too far a, a, as a character and they kind of leave it to the goons to do the kind of gross kind of stuff in a way. Yeah, well, like, because once, once Cage finds out that his uh, daughter's dead, like, obviously you have the funeral and then we get introduced to O'Connell, who is mm-hmm. like his old mob boss, played by the fantastic Pete Stromer. Like, normally... Yeah, he, plays it, he's, he plays it well. He plays it well. But again... Does not sound Irish in the slightest. Nah, nah, I agree. I, I could hear a little twinge of Irish going on there, but I, to be honest, I didn't really care. But I did think, even though I liked the Russian, the guy that they got to play the Russian uh, mob boss, I thought was was actually pretty good, pretty, pretty good choice. I quite like that guy. Um, but at the same time, I thought, well, why don't why not just make um, uh, your man in the wheelchair? Uh, what's the actor's name again? Sorry, Pete, Pete Stromer. Stromer, yeah. Why not make Stromer the villain? He'd make a great Russian villain. I think he was already a Russian villain in 8mm anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just do it again. Like, because, you know, rather than... But I, did, but I did really like the Russian guy, so I'm spoiled for choice. Well, I think, yeah, I think the guy who plays Chernov, his name is Pasha D. Lynch, Lynchikov. So I think he's got more, like, title to the throne, whereas, like, mm-hmm. Pete Stromer has been dining out as the, the Russian <laughs> for years. Whether true, it's, true, yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. it's eight millimeter or prison break where he plays like John Abruzzi. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, he's, he's like he had a whole season of playing this like this Russian badass. So it's like and I think <laughs> he, he, he turns up in like um like beyond enemy lines as well. He he at a point, Pete Stromer, I think it was like from like ninety ninety eight to like two thousand and five was like your go to Russian. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, he, fair enough then. Maybe it's good that they, he passed on the um, the crown or whatever. The fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> it's all about representation now. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's get. What I really like. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah, why don't we just hire the actual people who are the actual people? But um, but what was he going to say? Um, but no, I thought he was actually kind of a good villain. The problem is, as you say, that by the ending, you know that uh, this is a spoiler for. You know, I guess yeah. it's what we do on the show. We spoil it. Um, but uh, you know, the Russians didn't do it, um, and the Russians are kind of rightfully pissed off because not only did Cage kind of start it in the past, 
he started the war between the Russians and the war, the Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not only did he do that, but he's also got it wrong again this time and started another war. Um, so really, it's kind of the whole film is really um, it's about it's about Cage being a, like a bit of an asshole and not really knowing what was going on and causing violence. Well, yeah, and I think there's a scene that really plays to that, which is that scene in the um, cemetery between Paul and O'Connell, where they, like, mm-hmm. talk yeah. about it. And, like, yeah, like, O'Connell has this, like, he kind of sits him down and says to him, like, do you, do you remember, like, the, the gutters were run like were running red? And he's like, mm. and he says to him, like, you did me a huge favour in the past. And I'm asking you, like, uh, I did you a huge favour. Like, I'm asking you to repay that favour now by mm-hmm. doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so, yeah. like, he's even gone against what, like, his, like, his kind of clan have said. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he's also, like, he's also, he's, he's, he's like saying, I got you out once. I, I, I was able to get you out of the game, get you out of the criminal world. I made you legit. And all I'm literally doing is asking you for a favour, which is to continue to stay out of the game. Yeah. So he is, yeah, he is actually the ultimate kind of the re- the redemptive offer. He's like the sort of the devil in the movie that makes you a proposition that you can't refuse. But he's actually making like, he's like the angel. He's making you a, like a real positive, you know, handshake. And Cage obviously refuses the handshake. Well, he does it because he's like, yeah, 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 I understand what you mean. And then just does it anyway. But then like, yeah. I feel like we've got this point in the podcast and we haven't even mentioned that Danny Glover is also in this film. Oh, and Danny Glover is good. He's not in it like all the time, but when he's there, he brings a fucking, he's got screen presence. Uh, yeah, and he also has a great line. Do you know which line that is? No, 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 hit me with it. He oh, basically yes, yes. Like, yeah, there's like a dead body on the floor and he says like, He's like, I can't do his voice properly, but he's like, that guy's got a rap sheet long. <laughs> that guy's got a rap sheet longer than my dick. <laughs> yes, fantastic. I got like, like that. There are a few. There are a few moments where there were good lines in it, and I was like, shit, that's kind of that almost smacks of a better script, you know. But like, there is a like, I don't know. There, there are like moments in this that like, especially with Danny Glover's character in the thing of stories like. They know who is committing these crimes. They know it's Paul McGuire and his two goons. It's like, yeah, there's so many points in this, like in a real world. And like, that's the thing. When a film takes you out of the film and it's like, do you know what? Like, even in the reality of this film, it's like, we know the police know about you. They would have arrested you by now. Yeah, yeah. Like, Like, Danny Glover just keeps like, coming up to like Cage's character and just going like slap on the wrist, slap on the wrist every time. <laughs> yeah. Well no, you've just you know that he has like just gone into like a a drug den and like shot a load of people or like he stabbed a load of people and it's like but you're just gonna let him slide and it's like I don't know, and then like yeah, that's so right. It doesn't make any fucking sense in a, in a real world scenario. It would never work. But as it's a movie, I can forgive that. But I tell you what, I can't forgive is the is the thing about Cage's the whole reason that they think that um, it's the Russians is because the gun that they uh, that they find that's killed his daughter is a Tokarev, which is like a Russian gun. And 
I think what Cage doesn't know, but the cops do know, is that that gun was involved in two other incidents in like the 1980s that involved the Russian mob. But I don't think Cage knows that. I think he only knows that it's a Tokarev gun. But maybe I'm wrong about that. But what I was going to say is that I ended up researching that gun. I don't know if you did. No. Uh, well, well, basically, I ended up doing a little research on this weapon. And it turns out that it's quite a popular weapon among pistol enthusiasts in the West. So plenty of Americans actually own that weapon or have owned that gun. And plenty of people in you know Europe as well. I don't guess we can't have handguns though, right? So I mm -hmm. guess just in America, I don't fucking know. Pistol enthusiasts. Um, but so you wouldn't really automatically just say, oh, it's the Russians because it's a Russian gun. Because, you know, you could be like, you could get like a, you know, I don't know, anyone with a Chinese gun, but it doesn't mean it's the Chinese. It doesn't mean it's the triads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. It, it seems like a stupid level of deduction that he's using to then go, okay, let's kill the whole mob. Well, it's only because Kane says to him, he's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's favoured by the Russian mob. And I just, that's what it comes down to. It's like kind of lazy, like, script writing. And I guess when you come to, like, this level of, like, just looking into things and, like, well, yeah. this, I don't think this film sat right with a lot of people because, like, the critical reception of it isn't, isn't great anyway. Mm. And mm. this has a staggeringly low... 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Shit, that's brutal. And reading like, uh, I believe it was a Variety review, it, it said that like, this may not be like, the the worst, like this could possibly be the worst Nick Cage film. <laughs> oh my God. But like, the, the thing is, it like, it is that thing that it it's a poor man's taken and kind of has these like allusions to other films that are a lot better, doesn't it? It kind of makes you mm. think of like Mystic River or like a mm. history of violence, and it's like yeah, it can never be those movies. Yeah, it can, I mean, it can it can barely be its own thing. It can barely be itself, let alone even an imitation of 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 other things. There are moments like. Uh, I, lo I, I like the slow-mo scenes in it. Like when we finally find out about the, 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 who, who actually killed her, which turns out to be the boyfriend that Cage was interrogating at the beginning. Um, we get this good slow-mo flashback of, of, of her like falling through the rain. And there's also the earlier scene with Western Cage. Yeah. Right? Fucking brilliant. Nice to see him for two seconds, but still nice to see him. <laughs> um, and... Uh, that they do the whole car exploding in slow-mo and it's actually really beautiful and i imagine probably attached to the reason that you said of you know cage knowing him from neon flesh he's there's probably shit like that in neon flesh right probably well, yeah there's that moment as well which is a brilliant action sequence is like, i think it's like the third outing they have on their revenge mission when they go into that house and they're kind of like armed to the teeth with sh like shotguns and like Ooh. They're just like going through, and there's these lot of like kind of like sweeping one shots. And it's like there was a part of me that, like, watching it a second time, I was like, Oh, like, I can't remember this fully from the last time I'm watching it, but I was like, I wish that this just kind of flowed as like one, like, seeming one shot, and it's like just all in slow mo, quite stylized, 
like as much as it would have been like out of place within the kind of grand scheme of the film it's like they could have really like done something with those action set pieces but like i agree i agree i don't know and i that's the thing with those kind of bursts of excessive violence as well like those moments mm. of revenge are just are just overly accept- and i'm somebody who likes like like look yeah oh, me too i yeah. fucking love it i love yeah, it yeah I, I love violence in films but like sometimes it needs to be just and like in this it just kind of feels a bit like labored and it's like ticking boxes like, mm. like that that sequence I, I was mentioning felt like I was uh, playing the Max Payne games. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it goes into this slow-mo, people diving around, <laughs> like shooting shotguns and stuff like that. And this kind of... It's yeah, not the, fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. Like, no. the, you don't get catharsis for, for the um, for the revenge. It's like what, what uh, Tarantino always calls blood for blood. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get that fucking feeling at all. And I guess that, and it gets even worse because in the end, when it's revealed that the Russians didn't do it, you're just like, well, this was fucking pointless. So not only, basically, it is, I've said it before, but it's a movie about people like wrongfully just like killing people and like even interrogating people wrongfully. Um, well, yeah, and, that, you know, not all of them, but yeah. There's that just, moment, the whole, the whole thing is, yeah. There's that moment they go into that place where the guys are just playing cards and it's like, that, yeah. Like they just punch through a door, and it's like <laughs> what? And just, just these yeah. kind of like those, what? Those two, there's three times they kind of go up, like as a free piece, as like Cage and the two goons, as like yeah. Yeah, Paul, Kane, and Danny go after like the Russian mob, and like the the second time, well, like the second time they go to that strip club, and Paul's like, mm. yeah, I, I've got this. And like that, well, that's that scene. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I got problems. Yeah. Well, there's that thing as well. Like, I, I always have like, and I guess it's it's a sign of a film where you're like, I'm not invested in this. It's like when people like, I, yeah, no, it's a thing I have in a, like a problem with any film anyway. It's like when somebody's trying to outrun someone, they always know where to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've always got like a, a little alleyway to run down or whatever. Yeah, and in this, it's like, they're like, did they backwards engineer? They're like, do you know what would be a cool scene? It's like Cage losing his fucking mind at this guy who could, <laughs> like, who's got a link to his past because, like, he was involved with, like, the, the deal that they had done back in Mm -hmm. the past like when they which he knows because of the tattoo on his neck right yeah Mm -hmm. and then like had they back with engineers like this this showdown on on this like rain-filled roof would look really good but how do we get to there so it's like this guy running through what looks like an abandoned mall and it's like how how did he know to go up there and like anyway (laughs) if you're trying to outrun someone why would you go to a roof yeah, I know that's the most dangerous yeah. place to run. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. you've boxed yourself in. <laughs> that's so true. Although, of course, I've got also got to say there are two scenes that are fucking. You know, they're not Cage's finest moments by any means, but I thought they were two scenes that I thought you know you could definitely put this within like a Cage compilation of like good sort of uh, freak out Cage out wig out moments. Um, 
The first one is the one where he's on the rooftop and he's trying to interrogate the guy to tell him where, like, who killed his daughter. And the guy's dying. So he's like repeatedly whacking him into the water, going like, fucking don't die, don't die. And then when finally he has died, Cage does this crazy cry. That's like, <laughs> or something. It was really quite good. I was like, I was sort of smiling, but I was, I was, I felt it was emotive as well. Yeah, well, like his hair and that as well. Like, he obviously <laughs> doesn't care how he looks because his hair is like all dishevelled. Like the whole film, he's got this kind of like slick back. <laughs> he's looking pretty cool, and then yeah, that. And that... then suddenly he's like. <laughs> but then I had a problem with the fact that like he keeps saying to this guy, "Don't die," and then like he's like fucking smacking him a load more times. Yeah, <laughs> he's fucking smacking him. I know it's counterintuitive. Maybe that is. Maybe you could summarize the whole film in that moment. It's just like people smashing the wrong guy's head in, trying to get information. Don't die, but you're hitting him while you're telling him not to die. <laughs> you know. But also the other scene, one more scene that I really liked was the bit where. Um, Cage finds out one of his goons, the big fella, um, who's been Damn doing it. coke, yeah. getting his getting his end wet or whatever. Cage was just getting his wet end out. Um, he said, he, basically, he says to him like, uh, "You talked, you talked, whatever." And he's like, "Oh, I'm a rat. You said I'm a rat." And then there's this whole thing. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. He it says to him, it's like, you rat, you rat, you rat, you rat, you rat, you rat. Like, he's like, <laughs> I quite like that. I thought, like, that's up there with, like, some good cage, some good cage moments. Oh, definitely, definitely. So one of the scenes I wanted to talk about was the scene where Cage and Danny Glover are sat in, like, the coffee shop together. And Danny Glover mm. tells him the story of his son like mm. being run over and like him kind of having the feelings that Paul has, like Cage's character of like wanting to go yeah. out and find the guy. Like, what did you make of that scene? Like, was that like, I don't know, like it kind of felt like they were going for something, but do, do they, do they hit it? Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of, I quite liked it in the sense that I actually, I also sort of agree with Danny and what he's saying. Like, He's basically saying it is pointless violence begets more violence. It doesn't ever really solve anything. And that you could have the wrong man. He's literally telling Cage, you could have the wrong man in a in a in a kind of roundabout way. Uh, you know, like as he says, the guy who uh, ran over his kid, he could have killed anyone. Anyone could have done it. It was a blind spot on the road. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think that's it. Like they and, and in the end it does turn out to have kind of been a blind spot. It was a mistake. The, you know, the boy who killed his daughter didn't mean to. Yeah, it was a total accident. And Cage does spare him. Exactly. So, no, it's quite a good scene, but I think it's the fact that they're, like, sharing coffee makes it a bit clunky. I don't know why. Well, it's that thing, like, you think a coffee shop, like, the kind of, like, the good guy, the bad guy, the anti-hero, like, kind of, like, meeting up for the first, like, meeting up, it kind of, like, has allusions to heat and it's like well you don't (laughs) you don't make allusions to heat because all you're going to do is leave people disappointed because heat is like (laughs) a chef's kiss of a film like (laughs) yeah 
yeah, it's not it's not heat, but I don't. It, it's it's a strange film because I feel like it has a level of B movie kind of self awareness. I think it knows that it is a B movie. It does have aspirations, but it also knows how you know how high it can get. Like it, it's never going to really be above a certain point. Well, I think that might um, be budgetary I mean, constraints. Like that might be down to the budget. Mm-hmm. This was only like twenty one million dollars, which like in the grand scheme of things, like this day and age isn't massive amounts of money. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of like you, Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You think of like a, a mid budget level film, it's like forty, fifty million dollars. Like this is Yeah. Mental. This would be fucking mental. Yeah. This would be like at the lower echelons of a budget for movie. But like even then like films have been made on lower budgets but have pulled off so much more and this e- this seems to put like and that's what I mean. I don't know what like the kind of issues are on this. Like, did the budget go on Cage, Glover, and Stromer? <laughs> Although you'd think it might not have done that, considering that it's Cage's production companies that are involved. Yeah, yeah. But like, it... you know, maybe that maybe that he would take a smaller cut if it's his own production company. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really know. Although I, I, God knows. I mean, maybe some of these things. I was going to say they're like tax things, but I, but I don't even know. Like that's another thing. Um, but you know, what what I know in the end is that it won't be remembered in the classic halls of crime drama. Well, no way. And like, there's there's so many like kind of, I don't know. You kind of start to check out. At, time don't you i think the moment i kind of checked out was it i guess it's a moment that's supposed to be full of like gusto and like really getting you on board is when like all the russian mobsters turn up to kane's bar oh yeah i don't i can't fully remember that remind me when the like the yeah kane like one of cage's goons like works at the bar and all these like guys come in and there's like a shootout and like he's like ducking oh yeah, yeah 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 and he he gets he gets taken away and like taken to uh chernov and like like in between that there's this like car chase like and that's one of the interesting things about this movie is that like like it's a nice little easter egg for nicholas cage fans because like the car that nicholas cage drives is a 1967 mustang GT500, which is the same car from Gone in 60 Seconds. No way. Yeah, yeah. Is it actually the same vehicle or is it the same model? It's the same model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. That is a weird cam. What, was that done on purpose? It must have been, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, knowing Cage, like, I'm not sure if he bought that car. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's been yeah, known yeah, at yeah. times. Yeah. He's been known at times. To, I think it was the Sorcerer's Apprentice. They needed an old car, and he's like, "Well, I've got like a a nineteen thirties Rolls Royce. Do you want to use that?" <laughs> <laughs> I like a man who has props at his disposal yeah, that he yeah, can yeah. just kind of he can take out whenever he fancies it. You know, another thing that really stuck with me about this movie, and I'm not sure why, it's just how dodgy the credit sequence was at the end. Yeah, so at the very end. I think wouldn't they call it like a uh, wouldn't they call it like wacky credits or something where the credits do something that's like unexpected yeah. or is I don't know how is wacky credits when you've got like wacky fonts I don't know but 
with this one, the, the film says it ends, but then it doesn't end. And you've got this kind of like, almost like an like thespian theatrical font going on for some reason. Like doesn't even look like a film font. It looks like more like a program that you'd get in it. Like if you're watching Shakespeare somewhere, mm -hmm. which, it, which Shakespeare, this is not. Um, <laughs> had, uh, had, uh, and you've got like Danny Glover's like slowly walking up the stairs, looking kind of lost. Well, um, yeah, we've got this weird just, tableau of, like, the police coming in, which I don't think they would have come into the house anyway, like, guns drawn, like, charging up the stairs, like, and it's all in slow motion, and, like, it's just, like, for me, like, because this film opens on a shot that is from the end of the film, because it opens on, like, uh, Paul Maguire sat in his room, and then, like, a shotgun poking through like the crack in his door ah of course yes it does yeah and then like it's like it's that classic like oh like do you know what I mean dangle a bit of carrot at the beginning and then you're like oh when's that <laughs> yeah. when's that gonna turn up in the film and it's like for this it's <laughs> it's right yeah it, it's literally it's within, 20 seconds before the end yeah. yeah but like by the time you've got to that point You've A, forgotten about it, and B, don't care. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, there's another scene in the film that I really thought, um, uh, you know, alongside the you're a rat scene and the don't die scene, there's one more scene that I do actually think just says it all about Tokarev, rage, whatever you want to call this uh, really mashed up piece of shit <laughs> um, is uh, it's a scene where he's he's kind of cages standing with a backdrop of like factories or maybe dockland or something behind him um, he looks like he's being CGI'd in or something but he's not it's just a kind of weird backdrop and he's standing there and he's talking to his two bros um, to the to the to the the the, uh, the least charismatic goons, um, <laughs> and he's and he's and he's and he's saying to them, "Look, boys, I need some help. Like, I really need some fucking help. I really need help." And then he's got this money in his hand, and he offers the money. He said, "Surely you should have two envelopes of money and then give it to like both of them. Yeah. That would <laughs> seem to make more sense." But he's got one envelope um, full of all of the money, which is like, isn't it like two hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars? And he says, look, boys, use this money however you want in order to extract information or to get further to know what happened to my daughter. And you just take the rest of it for yourselves. And then his bros, the goons, say, we can't do that, man. We can't take that money. We just can't do that for you. You know, we're boys. We go way back. But they don't even really, but they are sort of saying that. And then there's this moment where Cage comes forward he clambers his arms around them like a sort of drunken mate in a bar <laughs> and gives them a big kind of joint bro, bro hug. And, and I just thought, like, what the fuck is this? I, I, there's just something about it where it seemed kind of insincere and clunky and it was like shock. It was, it just, I don't feel the connection between them and it just doesn't, yeah, I don't know. But it was... It just seemed to say it like the movie's supposed to be about three violent bros. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what the movie is really about at all. Well, there's a moment in this well, it uses like a well worn trope of the like redemption shower as well, you know, like the remorseful shower. Mm. When like 
he's kind of like committed these acts of violence and like you it's the classic shot of like i don't know why his shower is so dark as well it's like this kind of like like really dark shower but you kind of get this like silhouette of him like hunched over like from the back like you see in his back and like and then like you get like a shot of his hands kind of like like, do you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, these hands it are is, done dirty. It's a good shot. <laughs> yeah, it is true, but it is, it is actually quite a good shot. And I was thinking, I was like, how did they do that? Did they get like the cameraman? Did they get the cameraman to film the shower and then Cage like kneels down underneath him and puts his hands underneath his like? I was trying to work it out. But it's that thing of like, it's just a very well worn path, like in in films, like yeah. that kind of like the. It's always like like normally it's somebody like they're back to the yeah they're back to the camera like leaning up against the wall in a shower like or like kind of holding yeah. their head like kind of looking remorseful. Although I think I think the hands specifically uh, speaking of Shakespeare, uh, uh, um, I think that must be a Macbeth thing, right? That Lady Macbeth yeah. can't wash the blood off her hands, right? Um, well, yeah, because there is kind of weird allusions to um, like Shakespeare or like just the 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 past. Oh yeah, it, fuck! Is it Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar, yeah. Yeah, was that was that a um, was that a Shakespeare play, Julius Caesar? Um, no, I don't. Well, fuck! Don't fucking ask me that, man. You make me sound like you're even worse Philistine than I actually am. I don't believe it was, uh, but uh, but what I can tell you is that if this film thinks that it can talk about Julius Caesar in an intelligent way and use use some kind of knowledge of him as a historical character to big up the story or to make it make more sense, it's got another thing coming because it just seems to come out of fucking nowhere. What does it say on the fucking uh, the, the bit of writing that she's written? It says. Um... I'm, I can't even. I can't. I can, yeah, it's something I probably. I, <laughs> but it just doesn't the, say anything the, about the, the story. The, the, the die is cast, is what it's doing. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Well done. It does say the die is cast, which means what in the case in the context of this film? I don't know. I guess that's her talking. Like for me, it's like she's just talking about like the header that she's got. Like, do you know what I mean like? <laughs> yeah, I think they're saying that like, isn't the dice cast mean, mean means like it's out of your fucking hands? Like, what's done the, is the, done. The... Yeah, what's done is done. And then, and then I'm pretty sure there's a moment as well where Paul like gives like a, a profound quote to the to the to the boy to the to the like potential boyfriend as <laughs> yes. well. And it's like, oh, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> um, like something. Uh, uh, favors the bold. What is it like? Do you know what I mean? Like, like fortune favors the bold. Yeah, fortune, yeah, the brave, yeah, yeah, the brave, yeah. fortune favors the bold. And it's like, why are you using these platitudes and like trying to like? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I I find that I I find that a particularly creepy way to open a film. Mm -hmm. Uh, like a dad a dad picking up his girl from school. And then the next scene, he's trying to set her up with a boy by talking to the boy on his own in the kitchen and telling him to like be brave. And like get with her, and he keeps saying, "No, oh, this is another funny thing." I'm glad I just remembered this. Is that he says to the guy, "I could get you some work to the potential boyfriend." Yeah, I could get you some work, you know. And he's like, "You know, a man can, you know, you can earn a lot more money swinging a hammer than you can uh, working in a Denny's." Yeah. Um, and then like the next scene is like Nicolas Cage at the restaurant while the while his kid is having a party, and he's at a restaurant and he's like, "Oh, it's getting really late," and someone's like. 
I heard that you were earned all that money yourself. You built your own empire. And he said, yeah, you know, I, I, I started uh, just swinging a hammer. You know, that's how <laughs> I started. I mean, it's like he can't fucking stop using that phrase. He loves it. Well, like the, the actor who plays Max Fowler, like Max Fowler, Mike, the, the actor, yeah, Max Fowler, who plays Mike, like his performance is just constant. It's like, constantly up isn't it like when he says to him like i like i can give you a job he's like well geez sir could you like wow <laughs> or like when when he goes to see him after his daughter's died it's just like <laughs> and like watching it a second time there's like something that like i guess if this was a good film would stick out and be like oh like that's a hint to it because he makes this line when he visits him and he's like um like I, I wish it was me, and it's like oh, right, that yeah. should be like oh, like stuff like that would be like oh, on like second watch. But where is this like? Even after the first watch, you're like oh, I don't really care. I don't. Maybe you can explain this to me because I don't. I maybe I I don't fully think I grasp the plot a hundred percent. I don't know if that's my fault. If my brain wasn't awake enough. Um, I did almost fall asleep about midway through the film and I had to make myself a coffee so I didn't. <laughs> so I could literally feel my brain fizzling into that kind of, you know, that that dream area. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I made myself a coffee and I might have missed something. Why was it that he had the Tokarev gun in his house? Because that gun is, they took it from the guy that they killed all those years ago and stole the money from. Right. Yeah, so it's like... And why did he put it in the walls? Or wherever the fuck it's hidden? Just so, like, nobody could find it. Because, obviously, that would... Like, if that gun was found, that could probably link them to killing that guy because that was his gun. But I don't know what... Wouldn't it be a a better idea just to drop it in the ocean or something rather than having it at your gas? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Because that is probably... Yeah, like... Like I doubt, I doubt. Not, not, not. As not, you not are saying it now, as you are saying it now, it's picking apart the seams of this film. And like, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean, by standard logic, none of this should have taken place because if they had covered yeah. their tracks, like he has this whole thing at Danny being like, "Did you pay for those guns with the money you got from like that deal, like stealing that?" Money? Yeah, yeah. Well, you haven't covered your tracks because you've got the gun that was used to kill that guy <laughs> like still in your house and then that has been used to kill your daughter so it's like if you had done what you if you had taken the due diligence to go through and get rid of the evidence yourself th- this film would be like it's already redundant but it, it, it wouldn't even fucking exist <laughs> yeah the daughter would still be alive yeah. uh, everyone would be fine <laughs> Yeah. I guess that's why he basically at the end kind of has that phone call with his wife and like commits suicide, doesn't he? Because he stabs himself. Yeah, he also says it's something which is very interesting because he, he, he kind of goes, he, he, there were moments where I could see Bad Lieutenant coming back. I don't know if it just looked like it was a bit or if it was his way he was performing. But um, at, one, at one stage on the phone, I swear he says, sometimes I dream about that knife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he he says that. In and regards I was like, "Oh." Yeah, he says that in regards to like what he this seventeen, kind of... doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and also he's a real knifey guy in this movie. 
Yeah. He really fucking stabs people up. There's like one stage he's just he's like <laughs> he's like in that poker room and he's just like cutting some guy's arm up. It's very like whoa. Well, yeah, he makes allusions to it as well, and he says that like um like I've always preferred the knife because it's a a lot more quiet. Like you can like. Do you know what I mean like? Ooh. It's not the way he uses it. He's like he's fucking brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like a Kurosawa movie. It's like watching Shogun Assassin. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so yeah, like with this film, Bob. Like, what were your what are your lasting impressions of it? It's weird. It, feel, it feels like a sort of a, a kind of a, a really bland fever dream. Like if you got really sick and you had like a dream about a gangster film that you'd seen like one night and, and with Cage in it, but you only remember like, you know, a few knifey bits. It would, that's kind of what I remember. I actually, I think what I really remember about this movie is the Russian dude. Yeah, well, he's great. Like those moments when he's yeah. like interrogating people, like when he interrogates Kane. Like, mm, mm. and that's the thing, like, because he's, he's a very handsome man as well, isn't he? He's treating him like a punch bag. He's got, he's got, he's got a great smile. Handsome and he's shirtless a lot as well, which like, so, mm. and he's got these two star tattoos on his like, clavicle, mm. which like led me because mm. watching this a second time, and I should probably say, I'm probably too late in the episode to say this, but I probably will say it in the intro. So if you're listening now, it'd be like, well, he's already said this, but like, uh, I've, I, I was supposed to record an episode. Well, I, I had gone through the motions of recording an episode for this film, and I forgot to press record. So, like... Oh, yeah. And this film has, like, kind of, like, hung around me, like a kind of, like, do you know what I mean? Like, reaching out to people, like, what film do you want to cover? And it's like, nobody wants to cover this film. And it's like, it's kind of just been, like, the sword of damages <laughs> over my neck. And it's like, oh, the relief. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I could, I could pull that sword out, man. Perfect. Well, yeah, I looked into like, I, yeah, I got bored watching it this time, and was like, right, like, so, what do those tattoos mean? Like, just kind of like, I've always had a fascinating fascination in like Russian gang tattoos and just like tattoos anyway. But yeah, especially Russian gang tattoos because I know they've got like a lot of symbolic meaning. And I was like, right. Hopefully this film has got one thing right, and it's like he's got these two star tattoos, and I was like, "What do they mean?" Because I was like, "This film has fallen down on so many other points." It's like, hopefully they've got this thing right, and it's uh, so the eight pointed stars on the on the clavicle are to symbolise yeah, yeah, yeah. that the criminal has authority, which like Ooh. works perfectly with Chernoff because he is like. Like as, as as it said earlier, like like uh, Ch- Chernov's men can't shit without his permission. So he is very much yeah. the authority. Like, uh, mm, yeah. and it just led me down this spiral of uh, what Russian gang tattoos mean. And uh, there's some fantastic ones. Like, so a snake around the neck means that somebody is a drug addict. Wow! Wow! That's a good one. Yeah, and there's a a lighthouse on the right arm denotes a pursuit for freedom. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I never would have guessed that one. 
yeah and they're just like they've got all these kind of like lines between the points of authority stars on this inmate shoulders indicate that he's been conscripted into the arms forces so like there's all these kind oh, of wow. yeah so there's these lines coming off of a star and they're like all of these like crazy crazy I heard a I heard a good one one time, which is uh, basically if you if if you see a Russian prisoner tattoo where they've got uh, Stalin on the back of their their head or over their heart, it's it's so that they can't be shot at the back of the head or the heart because no one's willing to destroy the image of Stalin. That's amazing. Well, like <laughs> yeah. there's some more outlandish ones on this uh, article that I found, which is uh, there's a gentleman yeah, who has two stars like just above his belt line and apparently that is to suggest that he's gay and like oh so when he's naked his his penis would be the nose <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic i would like to have seen that in this film yeah well yeah it's that thing like <laughs> it just makes allusions to like other films you would rather be watching and like as I said, yeah, as you said, that actor... You're thinking, you're thinking Eastern Promises, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that actor, yeah, passion... I don't, I, you know... Yeah, that, act, sorry, that, on, act, sorry. that actor, Pasha D. Uh, Lynchikov, is great as this kind of, like, like, menacing, but, like, he's a bad guy. He's like, well, back, like, when you're first introduced to him, he's like, back in my day... We used to settle disputes with these, and he holds up his fists. And it's mm. like he's very much by the like. Do you know what I mean? Like the old way of doing mm. it, and like let's let's. He also tells this. He also tells this great backstory about being a, an Olympian athlete yeah, yeah. who had to go down in a mm. fight so he could pay off his dad's gambling debt, and eventually had to kill his father himself. Is that what they're suggesting? Yeah, yeah. because it did sound like that. And he takes a lot of glee in doing uh, it, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he's always like kind of grinning, and I can tell he worked really well with uh Stomair or whatever yeah. because when they were both working with each other, they were bouncing off each other's expressions, and that was really like a good scene, actually. And then you know, in fact, that was a great little shootout moment. I kind of wish that moment had lasted longer. That is probably the best actual scene in the film. What the the, the kind of showdown between uh, yeah, Chernov and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Lasting impressions. Will you be watching this film again, Bob? Would you recommend it? <laughs> Unless you ask me back, like for the for the for the twentieth anniversary of its release, I think the answer is probably no. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah. That is that is rage. That is, uh, uh Tokarev. Yeah. I even fucking forgot what the title was. Uh, for a second. Um, so obviously, Bob, you do Tonight with Bob and Joe, the fantastic podcast. I do. If people haven't listened to it, like I, I, anytime your name is brought up, I always say, listen to Tonight with Bob and Joe. So, um, thank you very much. What, 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 what is, does the future hold for you guys and what can people look forward to hearing from you? Well, we've still got, we've got a few episodes of the Infinite Pub Crawl, which are up on the YouTube. Uh, if you search Infinite Pub Crawl, it will come up. Um, and we've, we've got a few more of those to release. And in about a month or so's time, uh, probably hopefully less than that, we're going to 
start releasing our vodcast, um, Do Your Best, um, where grown men take on the challenges of 1970s Boy Scouts. A, a fantastic premise. <laughs> something something that we've talked about for years, right? Like we've kind of been yes, pounding about. And this finally thing. we are yeah, we're getting it going. Amazing. And once 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 I'm back out in the world and can join you boys, I will very much be taking part in some some uh boy scout activities. Uh so fucking fantastic man. So, like three things before we leave it, Bob. I totally forgot about these, is the questions. The questions yeah. that I always have to ask. One, does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film? I see it as good hair. So I, I could I think it is I don't know if it's a wig or not, but I think it's good. It's very I'd say it's good. It's very black. That would be my only thing, do you know what I mean? It's very black. It's a very yeah. like, it's yeah. very black hair. Um I think he's a handsome man. In in this role specifically, they they, they shot him in a good light. And does he have a crazy voice? Obviously, as you know, he's known to pull out some weird voices. I, you know, I thought I was expecting him to do like a Rush, uh, sorry, not a Russian thing, an Irish thing, and uh, and I didn't get any of that. I didn't hear. Is he trying? I don't know. He kind of just has this kind of like, oh, oh, oh voice. Do you know what I mean? It's. Uh, I think he's just being himself. I think he's just being himself, basically. But no, he doesn't. And the last question, do we get a Nick Cage freakout? Obviously a lot of people tune into his films for yeah. that. I think we get I think we get at least two. Yeah. And that's pretty that's pretty fucking good. Maybe that was maybe that was his he was like, look, boys, if we're gonna do this, let's fucking at least have two scenes. Perfect. You know? But yeah, I guess they were the takes for Cage on that case. While I wouldn't watch it again as well, I would say that I would recommend it to die hard cage fans for those particular scenes. Yeah, and it's that thing, yeah. like, what do you think of his overall performance? Like, does he bring something to this? Like, like we've discussed in the past and, like, um, we discussed earlier, is sometimes Cage can bring something to a film that isn't necessarily that good. Does he deliver that here? Yeah, totally. I mean, I can't imagine this movie, um, or many Cage films, to be honest, having that main character replaced by another actor mm-hmm. it would be fucking weird like in fact imagine this for a second you know not to insult these actors too much but imagine if one of the goons had replaced cage's role and we and so it was just like another unknown guy this film would feel fucking empty yeah so you know i think it's it, speak, it speaks volumes that cage can inject life into every fucking film, every single fucking role. And as you know, he really does fucking real tears roll down his face onto the body of his daughter. I mean, that's fucking insane. That's intense. Well, it's a thing as well. It feels like without Cage and Glover in this film, like it would fall apart. Like, I mean, yeah. like, like, well, Glover is great as well, but Glover, Glover needed to be in more of it, man. He's not in enough of it. Yeah, and it, it, it very much felt at times he definitely was too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it was just like I don't know, like I don't know how many days he was on set. Like it felt like maybe two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think you know, in the, in those things that he's in, though, I, I think I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. Glover is a fucking terrific actor because he he does he just he's totally believable. Mm-hmm. He's just totally believable, even in like movies like Saw. 
he seems to have some kind of like thespian kind of avant-garde brilliance that makes the film suddenly feel elevated, yeah. you know? And I guess that's why him and Cage do work well together, but maybe they could have been in a better movie, you know? Yeah, that that is the thing, especially around this time in Cage's career, and that's something I always like to look at, like a very interesting point in Cage's career because he did Tokarev and then he did Left Behind, which like for a lot of actors would have been a one-two punch out. Do you know what I mean? That would have been a knockout because Left Behind is not a good film. Like, and that that, that could have been (laughs) the like kind of death nail to a lot of actors like careers. But like, as we've seen in the last few years, Cage is definitely bouncing back like in a good way he is he's bouncing back but also i think i think that's that's it what's brilliant about cage is not only is he super versatile and and not only is he willing to take on projects which are quite unusual or maybe at first might not even seem like they could be that great but he takes them on anyway and as i say often saves them but i think that allows him to always bounce back because he's never gonna he's not he strikes me as the kind of man that will never retire Yeah, yeah yeah i think he will let the game retire him not he retires the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fucking exactly. Um, well, so yeah, I think I think we're still. Yeah, sorry. Go no, on. no, no. I was gonna say it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Bro. Oh no, thank you for fucking having me, man. I know it was a bad film this time, but it's still lovely to talk to you about it. And I hope uh, anyone who listens um, either gives Tucker ever shot um, or decides not to, based on what we've said. Yeah, well, like. Bob- <laughs> As always, I'm sure you'll be back at some point. Uh, I think it may be in the diary for you to be to be back anyway. So uh, uh, look forward to Bob's tenth appearance on the Patreon podcast. And there we have it, another Nick Cage film ticked off the list and another time of Bob on the podcast ticked off the list. I guess I probably should have asked him at some point to be a co-host, but hey, I like having conversations with different people and I also really like having conversations with Bob. Uh, If you feel very differently to me and Bob that we got it wrong with Rage, Tokarev, whatever you're calling it, a piece of shit, uh get us get us up online well me uh you can follow me on social media all at at caged in pod on facebook twitter and instagram and i love to have a conversation at the moment i keep running some little uh pitting nick cage films off against each other trying to find what is the best so what's the best 90s action cage what's the best 90s uh crime thriller cage what's the best like straight to vod cage and uh yeah so that's all fun uh you can support me on patreon if you really want to so that's uh patreon.com forward slash caged in pod and at the moment this is something i'm, I'm quite passionate about because i get to share uh one of my friends amazing artworks so uh yeah i'm selling some prints um uh, they're created by an illustration uh by tim hornsby who is a previous guest of this podcast he's on the wicker man episode with bob as well so uh, but yeah he's done these amazing like superman caged imprints so they look like an old dc front cover of what a front uh, front cover may have looked like if cage got to play superman all those years back so i 100 recommend buying one of those obviously 
Uh, money comes to me, but money goes to Tim as well. So it gets to help him do what he wants to do. It, it helps me like put it back into the podcast, get more merch. If I don't know, just grow this thing and just 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 have a laugh with it. Just yeah, just know that any money that you pump into this podcast will not be squandered. It will go back into providing fun and interesting things for the podcast. So as always, join me next week when I'll be talking to comedian and podcaster and just all-around legend Carl Donnelly about the 2014 film Left Behind. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting one. I've already had the conversation with Carl and uh, it was an amazing conversation but oh it's a it's a real stinker of a film. I believe you can watch that on Netflix in the UK if you like to watch along and uh yeah watch it once i'll, I'll say that at least so uh i've been petrus pacifus i've been caged in you've been amazing thank you very much cheers This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.